Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that I am a proud uncle. Proud uncle. You see, last Sunday, my nephew Brian Abbey and his wife Jenna had their third child, little Riker. And the Abbey clan made the Phoenix area 12 o'clock evening news. Why is that? Uh, think about this. Metropolitan area, close to 5 million people. They made the news. Why? Because Riker came a little too early. Uh, like, on the way to the hospital. But he came before getting to the hospital. And Brian had to pull over in a school parking lot in Ahwatukee, and husband and father Brian became midwife Brian (laughs) and had the privilege of delivering his third child. Uh, Brian and Jenna were named by the evening news uh, father and mother of the year. (laughs) Yeah. Inconvenient, costly, untimely, and absolutely destroyed the front seat of a newer Toyota Camry. Yeah, if you want, you can go and watch this news clip, and they show the car with the front seat removed being worked on at at the car dealership. But who cares, right? Riker's a healthy baby boy. We value new life. And a successful birth is so important. We we know that it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of years of parenting, raising him into an adult. But that birth is an important first step, a critical first step. What a beautiful picture of the gospel and the kingdom of God, right? It is inconvenient at times, costly, untimely, and absolutely messy. You say, surely there's more to the Christian faith and and, and church and the mission than just giving birth to spiritual babies and, and raising people up. And I say, really? I mean, in the end, isn't that everything? In fact, listen to the words of Jesus. This is in the upper room discourse. They're having the Passover. It's where we get our ordinance of communion from. Jesus is praying uh, in in John 17. This is before he prays. And he says that, um, by this is my Father glorified, that you go and bear fruit, much fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And in that passage, in that context, he is not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, humility, gentleness. He's not talking about character of Christ coming out of us as individuals. He is talking about spiritual reproduction in raising young disciples into the likeness of Jesus himself. By this is my Father glorified. Of all the things that we could do, this is the one thing we must 
do. This is why we meet on Sunday mornings. It's to disciple, disciple-making disciplers. This is it. We looked two weeks ago that this mission of bringing uh, spiritual children into the world and raising them up, we, we saw how this flows from the very nature of the triune God himself. That God is a missionary God and he is a missionary sending God. And last Sunday, Pastor Tyler did a magnificent job of tying the mission to God's redemptive plan of the ages. Something that was in his mind before he even created the universe. And that you and I are not only the recipients of the Abrahamic covenant, but we are also the ambassadors now that through Christ and now through us, all nations of the earth should be blessed. But what is really our part in the mission? And what are we supposed to do in order to fulfill it? This morning, in, the answer, in, in order to answer that question, we have to go back to the Great Commission itself. So I'm just going to tell you, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to open them up to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. And as you turn there, I want you to consider this, something that not very many uh, Christians even know, is that the Great Commission is actually given in every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Five places. What we discover when we study the Great Commission in those five places, we discover that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, gave the Great Commission at least three times and in three different places. We discover that John and Mark like to cite the Great Commission being given on the first Resurrection Sunday. Forty days later, we're, we're actually told Jesus stayed around on the earth 40 days after his resurrection. And on the other side of those 40 days, Luke and Acts record the Great Commission at the Mount of Olives, or Bethany, immediately before his ascension. Matthew's gospel occurs sometime in the midst of those 40 days, many miles to the north in the land of Galilee on a mountain. What's the point of sharing that context? The point of the context is this, that Jesus was absolutely consumed with the mission in ensuring that his disciples would catch it. They say that repetition is the mother of all learning. We know that he shared it at least three times at three different locations over those 40 days, likely many more times. But the apostles writing their gospel or the book of Acts, just picking one or the other, because Jesus is that consumed with his mission. And he wants us also to be consumed with that mission, the Great Commission. So here's what it says in this version, in this moment. On a mountain in Galilee, 
Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's the big idea here? The big idea here is this. Yes, all creation will be redeemed and restored, but the most important part today, the most important part for you and I, or you and me, is the salvation of lost souls, the conversion and training up of disciples from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now, in this version of the Great Commission, we need to understand a little bit about Greek and sentence structure. So I'm going to do a, just a brief lesson about the structure of verses 18 through 20, but specifically verses 19 and 20. What we discover in this version of the Great Commission is that we have one imperative. What's an imperative? It's a commandment. And there is only one, technically speaking, in the Greek language. Secondly, there are three participles. What is a participle? A participle is a verb-like adjective. And in this instance, the verb-like adjectives are modifying the imperative or explaining how to go about fulfilling the imperative. So one imperative, three participles, Sandwiched between two promises. Why are there two promises? We'll unpack that in a moment, but I'll just let you know. Because the mission, the mission of spiritual offspring, spiritual reproduction, and spiritual parenting is costly and messy and sometimes untimely. And so we need some encouragement and some comfort. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's begin first with the imperative. The imperative found in verse 19 tells me the what of the mission. What is the mission? Make apprentices of Jesus. Now, why did I choose the word apprentice? Because in our ESV translation, we read disciple. Here's why I am changing that up with this crowd. is because over the years, the word disciple ends up taking on churchy baggage that is a diminished understanding of the Greek word methetas. The, the methetas is a, a learner, a disciple, or a, a whole life follower and so I've got to find a word that explains that better than what some of us have discovered or, or assumed that the word disciple means. Uh, some of us coming up through a discipleship program or a class and we think, hey, I passed it. I did book one, two, three, and four in my college campus ministry. I, I have been discipled because I went through the content and I was able to fill in the blanks or some kind of version of that. I went through the coursework and the classwork was mainly for my brain, in, in my, my mind. 
But the, the word and the idea here is an entire lifestyle, a transformation of the very person. It's not just a convert and a believer, but it's a lifestyle follower that is learning the skills of the master himself. The Greek scholar A.T. Robertson said this in his Greek word studies on this text. The program includes making disciples or learners such as they were themselves. You got 11 disciples or apprentices of Jesus. And Robertson is saying they, they were to actually reproduce what Christ had done in them and with them for three and a half years. He goes on to say that means evangelism in the fullest sense and not merely revival meetings. We're not called to stop at conversion. And by the way, conversion is something that God does. We explain the gospel and invite people to believe, but in the end, it's between them and God. And so we can't save anyone. Only God can do that with the person's willingness. We are called to meet people where they're at and move them along and invite them to believe. This is what the Apostle Paul, how he described the process or the mission. In his letter to the Galatian church, he says, My little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth. We might not even make it to the hospital. He's in pain of childbirth. And he says, until Christ is formed in you, not just conversion, but so desperately longing to see the people that he is discipling, mentoring, and, and apprenticing actually begin to ooze the character and mission of Christ. And then in another letter to the church at Colossae, he explains it this way, his job and his, his passion for this, that I believe we should all be modeled after. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, meaning even how we do it, we need to be wise in, in understanding of who it is we're talking to, where they're at on the journey. Um, why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So these pictures of the Apostle Paul's ministry, of making apprentices more than just converts or knowledgeable Christians, that Christ would be formed in them to the point where they turn around and do the same thing. That we were saved to be sent. Every single last one of us in a manner or way, God has given us this mission. Pastor Bill Hall says it this way in his book on evangelism discipleship. He says, when we teach a form of discipleship that does not result in reproduction... We missed the mark. He goes on to say, this is an example of, of what I mean from uh, a regular small group experience. In small groups, we often ask, how are you doing? And he says, that's perfectly uh, appropriate to ask. But then he goes on, but the kind of disciples that God desires doesn't end with the disciples' own life or lives. It extends into how they are living for others. Also, you want to be godly, you got to be like God. You want to be like Jesus, you got to do what Jesus did. He didn't live for himself. He lived for others. And what he's describing here is 
um, discipleship that ends in just, uh, well, I'm just happy and I'm comfortable and I'm not sinning anymore. Well, good for you. There's more to it than that. Real discipleship, apprenticeship, moves into how am I living for and serving others in this community, in my life, in this world. And the idea is this, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to call ourselves disciples, apprentices of Jesus, if we're going to call ourselves a faithful church, then we're simply going to have to get involved with God's greater mission to reproduce spiritual children and raise them up. This is what Jesus emphatically told his apprentices to do and be. He wanted them to be apprentice-making apprentices. You follow? That is the imperative. Now, three, three participles. The three participles tell me how to go about doing this. Tell us how to go about this. And forgive me, I didn't put the ING, so you can add that on. It's in my notes here, but not up there. Going... This is how participles work, okay? Going, enfolding, and training. So put on the ING up there, and uh, please forgive me. Let's unpack those and why I I chose those words from what the uh, three participles given are. The first off is this, going. That's really easy because that's what it says. But I want you to understand that that is a participle in the Greek language, modifying the make disciples or make apprentices. And the idea of the going for us here this morning is this, that that apprentices of Jesus go first. They initiate. They take the first step. They're not passive individuals. They're appropriate and they're wise, but they are not passive. Think about God. Think about the Lord walking in the garden, seeking Adam and Eve who had rebelled, who are hiding from one another and hiding from him. And who is going first? Who is initiating? The Lord himself. Think about the Lord Jesus. Who went first? Jesus or you? Who came looking for you? He did. This is what Jesus said in Luke 19 in the middle of telling three parables, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. He gives us his thesis statement of mission, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So if we are going to apprentice our lives after Jesus, what are we going to do? Seek and save the lost. He made the first move for those who were not seeking him. And by the way, he met them where they were at, not where he wished they were or thought they should be. And so that informs our evangelism and discipleship. That we can't beat people up because they're not where they're supposed to be. That's that's the whole story. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But praise Jesus, there are people that want to help me take the next step. Jesus wants to meet me where I'm at and help me take the next step. So as an apprentice of Jesus, I want to be the kind of person that meets people where they are at 
not where I think they should be, to be able to assess that in wisdom and help them take the next step. I want to show you a little chart. It's called the Engel Scale of Evangelism. Who's Engel? James Engel was a uh, professor at Wheaton University. And this is one attempt for Engel to help believers move from product or project to process in how we reach others, no matter where they're at on their, their spiritual journey. It should not matter. It should not matter. We are meeting anyone in our life, be it a spouse, a child, a relative, a coworker, a neighbor. Do you know where they're at? And so you see there's 16 steps between no knowledge of God whatsoever and a, a disciple that is growing exponentially. 16 steps. And somewhere around step 10 is conversion. Meaning the person bows the knee to Christ and say, I, I need you. I believe. Please come into my life. That happens at step 10. I'm not looking at it right now. Somewhere around there. And why is this important? Now, it's not perfect. Listen, evangelism, discipleship, uh, giving birth to spiritual babies or delivering them is a better picture. And parenting and raising them up, playing our part in, in the body of Christ and in, in helping raise these little ones while we are growing ourselves. It's, it's messy. It's not linear. It's not perfect. A lot of people come in at, at level seven or five. And so you don't start from, from scratch. But the idea here is to move from seeing people as in or out, finished or unfinished, or seeing them as a project into seeing them as a person in a process. So I want to destigmatize evangelism for you. And I want to, to help us be appropriate and to be able to assess people and pray for them where they're at, meet them where they're at, ask them good questions and enjoy. If I can just help a person take one step, that's a win. So I'm a, a part of a mom's club. Yeah, that's weird, right? Um, I got invited into the mom's club at uh, Friday afternoon gymnastics. There's three gals. Hawa, Andrea, and Molly. And uh, we all have children with disabilities in gymnastics. My wife is normally doing uh, some counseling online, so I get to take Tim. And somewhere in there are these... these uh, really kind ladies invited me into conversation. A lot of times I'm actually working on my sermon notes or slides, getting them ready for Sunday, but they're inviting me into to friendship because we have a common bond. By the way, um, most of them bring their kids to Tim Tebow's Night to Shine. In, in that group, we've got a person from a liturgical Christian background, high church. We've got a Muslim, and we've got uh, someone that's Jewish. And two Fridays ago, um, two of them didn't show, and so the other one that's Jewish asked me how I'm doing. It was just us two in the mom's club. That's a joke. I'm not really a mom. Yet. No, never. She invited me in to conversation. And I think I missed the first invitation. Because I was so dialed down into a book I was reading. And then I peeked up and I thought, you know, this is interesting. She's Jewish and the author is Jewish. Edwin Freeman, a failure of nerve. He was the first guy to take uh, Bowen's 
family systems thinking and apply it to leadership and congregational leadership. He was a psychologist and a counselor, a therapist, and a, um, a clergyman for a Jewish congregation. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant book. And I said, hey, um, I'm actually, this is interesting. I'm reading a book by a Jewish, Jewish guy. And she goes, tell me about it. And she got up and came and sat next to me. And I described to her uh, the idea behind the book. I'm not going to go into this deep, but, but what it means to take a defined stand with a non-anxious presence as a leader or a spouse or um, within a family, and, and that it's okay that others don't agree with me. That's the non-anxious presence, and it's the only solution to actual leadership that changes families or organizations. And then she asked this zinger, then why do so many Christians, why are they so anxious in trying to convert me all the time? And that just teed it up, and I hope I answered it well. I go, well, on one side, um, what we believe is that Jesus is the Messiah of all people in whom we must believe. And so that's a deep-held conviction. On the other hand, um, what you want to believe is entirely your problem and up to you. But we have a responsibility to share it, and then you can do with it whatever you want. And she goes, boy, I wish my family members would understand that. All right, so what just happened there? She just gave me some insight into her world and her family by marriage and that there's some evangelical Christians that are pressuring her to believe. And I got to explain to her why that is so important to them. But then to also um, let her off the hook and say, hey, you're going to have to take responsibility for what you choose to believe in the end. And that's between you and God. I hope that went well. I hope it's a win. Um, I hope I have more opportunities for more conversations. But if I was able to answer just one question that's bothering her about Jesus, the gospel, the church, or Christians, then that's a win. Only God knows how she received that. Um, but that's the idea. We're just meeting people where they're at in doing what we can to help move them to where they need to be. And that's what it means to go. Here's the second, uh, the second participle, enfolding. This comes from the word baptizing, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I would say this, yes, baptism is an ordinance. It's a point in time when a person who has made the decision to follow Jesus does something publicly. And yes, that is contained in this text. But I also want you to understand there's something supernatural that the Holy Spirit does to bring a person to that moment. And then there's something organizationally that a church must do, all based on this moment. Okay, so the first thing is, what did the Holy Spirit do to bring the person to that moment. Something mystical and supernatural has happened. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. It's the body of Christ, the church, the local church. He goes on to say, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. 
So the Holy Spirit does something in putting people that profess Christ that are getting baptized into the universal body of Christ. Now, that's already happened if they believed, but baptism is that outward sign of an internal reality, not only that I'm going to follow Jesus, but I belong to the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's done that, and we, we, it signifies this, that he's also baptized them into the church. And there's something for us on an organizational level, and that is to provide meaningful relationship, meaningful uh, belonging to those people who have said, count me in. In the book of Acts, we read this, Acts chapter 2, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day. I mean, they were having friends from church over every day and doing life together in community. It goes on to say that they, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were, who were being saved. God was bringing them into the body. They were being baptized, not just physically with water, but baptized into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ itself was providing meaningful belonging by having them in their homes. Can I just tell you that people... Maybe first blush, they're looking for a friendly church. But you know what they're looking for more than a friendly church? They're looking for friends. You want to know what's hard about a church when it gets old? We have all the friends we can handle. And so I will absolutely 100% guarantee you, we have people that have come here and they say, this is a very friendly church. And then in four months, they're gone because they couldn't find friends. And it happens all over the world all the time. And what's the antidote to that is that each one of us should free up at least one layer of relationship. Maybe even step out of the small group in order to be an assimilator of new people that are, maybe they're already saved and they're coming into the church. Maybe there are new people just seeking the Lord. But they need friends. They need to be included. That's part of the disciple-making, apprenticing journey. Not only do we initiate and take that first step, meet people where they're at and help them to move where they need to be, but we open up our hearts and our homes and say, you can belong here. And that's what it means to be baptized or to be uh, enfolded. Here's the third. The third is Training. Didasco is the word here. It's different than methetes. Um, it, it, it's a simple, it just means to impart instruction. It's where we get the word didactic from, which means teaching. But I want you to notice what it modifies in the sentence, teaching them to observe, to actually uh, embrace, to learn all that I've commanded, not just the doctrine and the information that I've commanded, but the lifestyle the mission, the heartbeat, the character, all these things are included. In our church, when we talk about what it means to be a disciple, we, we talk about people who learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. I'd love to un unpack all those. We've done it at other times and in other sermons, and it's all over our literature. But if I could sum it up in one key verse that I think says it all, 1 Timothy 1.5. 
where the Apostle Paul, talking to young Timothy, says that the, the, the aim of our charge, and I know some Bible translations uh, translate instead of charge, uh, commandment, or the aim of our teaching, what we're trying to accomplish in the church, what we're trying to accomplish in making apprentices of Jesus is this, love that issues. It's love as a verb. It, it comes out of the person that's been conformed to Christ, that, that Christ has been formed in them. Love comes spilling out. You bump them, you insult them, you hurt them. And what comes out? Love comes out because Christ is in them. And this is what Paul is talking to Timothy about. The aim of our commandment or our teaching is love that issues. And then notice the streams that feed into this kind of love. It comes from a pure heart. The way you process relationships. The way you cool your temper and uh, are, are aware of what's going on. Uh, you've dealt with your trauma and family of origin triggers. Christ is being formed in all of you. Your entire being comes from a pure heart, a good conscience. The word conscience there means with knowledge, so it goes back to the head. Good conscience, good thinking, and a sincere faith. And that Christ is being formed. We're training up these kinds of disciples or apprentices. Here's the idea. Be this, be this, and do this. And one catalyzes and feeds the other. This is what, what uh, physicists have been looking for for centuries, is a perpetual motion machine that doesn't lose any energy while it's working. It's so uh, brilliant. And, but this is the perpetual motion machine of apprenticeship. It's apprentices that are, are engaged in spiritual formation, catalyzing missional formation, and involved in missional formation that it's catalyzing spiritual formation, and back and forth, and the congregation is doing that. It's not only out there, it's not only in here, it's both and, and they're feeding one another. We are a church of apprentices that must be on mission, and because we're on mission, we're desperate to be apprentices and to seek the Lord more. You get the picture? This is the process that we're invited into. Now I said, because reproducing and parenting can be inconvenient, costly, untimely, and messy, we need some encouragement, don't we? And that is why this is sandwiched between two promises. What's the first promise? It's found in verse 18. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to understand this, that when in the incarnation, Jesus gave up his independent right to use his authority. He handed it back to the Father and became a baby. He had to have his diaper changed. He had to learn about himself and become self-aware again. I mean, we're talking in extreme measure of disabling that he went through. And he laid aside his glory. Because he was perfect and obedient and laid down his life, the Father gave him his authority back in full measure. 
and turned over the entire universe to him. That's what it means here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Back to A.T. Robertson and what A.T. Robertson says about this text. His authority or power in his earthly life had been great. He did miracles, but only what the Father told him to do and only what the Father told him to say. He goes on to say, It is the sublimest of all spectacles to see the risen Christ without money or army or state charging this band of 500 men and women with world conquest and bringing them to believe it, is po- it was possible and to undertake it. So what's the idea here? What's the promise? All authority in heaven on earth. What's the, what's the promise? The mission will succeed. I think every single one of us that has attempted to be on mission has been deeply, deeply discouraged, deeply disappointed, right? How many of you have had people that you've led to faith or discipled or poured into walk away from Jesus? Walk away from your small group, walk away from your church. That's brutal. That's painful. I love what Woodrow Wilson said, I would rather lose in a cause that will one day win than to win in a cause that will one day lose. And so I'm here to say that your effort has not gone unseen. And I want you to understand that your effort contributes to the big win. Jesus the Christ will have his bride and she will be full. The mission will succeed. So when we throw in our meager efforts and it's messy or costly, it's a win. Here's the second promise. The second promise is that we don't do it alone. We're never alone. Listen, I know that there are people in here, you are just trying to survive. Financially, uh, maritally, uh, you're in here, you're bruised and broken. You're saying, I got to do more things. Can I just tell you that it's in the midst of our brokenness and working out our own stuff as apprentices, God does his greatest work, not just in us, but through us. And this is why Jesus says in this final verse, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission will succeed, and we never do it alone. This morning we have good news Good news is this, we might be at the precipice of a brand new awakening in North America. Latest Barna report from October, survey of 2,000 adults across our nation. Post-COVID, that there is a greater um, openness to spiritual things than before COVID. I'm, I'm citing this and just reading from it. Though religious affiliation and church attendance continue to decline, spiritual openness and curiosity are on the rise. Across every generation, in fact, we see an unprecedented desire to grow spiritually. Overwhelmingly, Christian teens today say that Jesus still matters to them. 76%, in fact, say, quote, Jesus speaks to me in a way that is relevant to my life. We're seeing it on the U of A campus. Um, We have a bunch of NAV students that are part of our church. The NAV ministry doubled under COVID. And I'm hearing that story across the nation from college ministries. 
God is doing something new, and not only with our collegiates, but across the board. Are we ready for it? Are we excited about it? Are we saying, Lord, here am I, send me, what's my part in it? Can I bring it back? Uh, Pastor Tyler was praying that a fruit tree drops most of its seeds where? Right underneath its branches. And we absolutely believe in reaching every nation, tribe, and tongue, but have you considered as an immigrant nation and people coming to our shores that, that even, or just as much as going to where they are, they're actually coming here. And are we mobilizing our resources and are we engaging ourselves in our social networks? Listen, we're gonna be involved in these great things like Tim Tebow's Night to Shine that likely ends up on the news, it has every year, and, and the fragrant aroma of Christ going out into this community are great serving at Whitmore Elementary School. Wonderful things that we do together, and we should do those things together, but you want to know where the real gold mine is? Our interpersonal connections with people who already know us and see the character of Christ. We are a credible witness over time. The gold mine is not in the big pow. The gold mine is not in cold turkey evangelism. The gold mine is with the people we already know. So this morning, I'm bringing it back to one. 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 Certainly more than one if you want to, but at least one. Who's your one? Who's the one person that you would love to see bow the knee to Christ and be baptized? Are you willing to pray for them daily? Are you willing to consider, Lord, what part might I play in their life? To meet them where they're at and help them take that next step toward Christ. Can I encourage you to grab a one prayer booklet, write their name in it, and pray this for the month. Also, let us know so we can pray with you for your one. And together, we're going to see, in parts and pieces, God's kingdom come to earth. Amen? Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this clear and concise depiction of what you want your individual children to be about and what you want the church, big C, and local churches, little c, to be about. Lord, we're saying here we are, um, broken, insecure, inadequate, but willing. Willing to pay the price. Willing to embrace the messiness. We want to be about the mission of delivering spiritual children into your kingdom, to play our part as spiritual fathers and mothers and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins, nieces and nephews. Do what we can to help each other. Help every person we know take that step toward Christ-like maturity. Lord, would you give to us a burden that we too, like Paul would say, I'm in anguish, I'm in anguish, as of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We would receive this burden and be grateful for it, that we might serve you from a full heart. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.